News Talk 1110 wbt We're going to join the press conference being held by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, already in progress. All that time would be wasted. This is one of the most challenging times for government in a generation. Government really needs to function today. Government needs to perform. It is a matter of life and death government operations. And wasting energy on distractions is the last thing that state government should be doing. And I cannot be the cause of that. New York tough means New York loving. And I love New York. And I love you. And everything I have ever done has been motivated by that love. And I would never want to be unhelpful in any way. And I think that given the circumstances, the best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. And therefore, that's what I'll do. Because I work for you. And doing the right thing is doing the right thing for you. Because as we say, it's not about me. It's about we. Kathy Hochul, my lieutenant governor, is smart and competent. This transition must be seamless. We have a lot going on. I'm very worried about the Delta variant. And so should you be. But she can come up to speed quickly and my resignation will be effective in 14 days. To my team, Melissa DeRosa, Robert Mejica, Beth Garvey, Stephanie Benton, Dana Caratanudo, Kelly Cummings, Rich Azapardi, Howard Zucker, Rick Cotton, General Lieber, Jack Davies, and the hundreds of dedicated administration officials. I want to say this. Thank you. Thank you. And be proud. We made New York State the progressive capital of the nation. No other state government accomplished more to help people. And that is what it's all about. Just think about what we did. We passed marriage equality, creating a new civil right, legalized love for the LGBTQ community. And we generated a force for change that swept the nation. We passed the SAFE Act years ago, the smartest gun safety law in the United States of America, and it banned the madness of assault weapons. We've saved countless lives with that law. $15 minimum wage, the highest minimum wage in the nation, lifting millions of families' standard of living, putting more food on the table and clothes on their backs. And we led the nation in economic justice with that reform. We have managed every emergency Mother Nature could throw at us. Fires, floods, hurricanes, superstorms, and pandemics. We balanced the state budget and we got it done on time, more than any other administration, because government should work and perform. Free college tuition for struggling families. Nobody in this state will be denied their college dream because of their income. We have built new airports, rail, transit, roads all across this state, faster and better than ever before. And more than any state in the nation, 
the most effective green economy program in the nation. We did more for black and Latino families than any other administration. We did more for working families. We did more for our union brothers and system, sisters. We did more to battle racism and anti-Semitism. Today, so much of the politics is just noise, just static. And that's why people tune it out. What matters is actually improving people's lives. And that's what you did. You made this state oh, a better right. I state. I can't take anymore. All right, just get for rid the of it. He's, he, all right, he says he's going to resign. See, you're welcome. You're welcome. I predicted, you may recall, I predicted last week, I think it was, that he would not resign, that he's not going anywhere. That was my prediction. And because I am so bad at the predictions, see, I knew what I was doing. It was more important to get him out of there than for me to be right. You're welcome. <laughs> now, we did not get... <laughs> we. The best parts of his comments, really, <clears throat> were during the newscast. Um, I tried to, <laughs> I tried to write them down as he was delivering them. Um, he said these were generational and cultural shifts that had occurred, and he was not aware of the shifting generational and cultural norms. So. You know, when he uh, groped people, he was not aware, not cool anymore. Not cool. Um, he talked about uh, this trooper who made the accusations against him about um, how he had, you know, uh, brushed his hand or rubbed his hand along her stomach. And then as he was like passing her as he walked into a, a, a room or whatever. And he's like, look, the state. Police, it was not very diverse. And so, like, I wanted more women, you know, around me. <laughs> Which, this is, like, yeah, I get it. Mr. Abuser, I understand why you would want more victims in your orbit. Yes, it does make sense. No, 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 but it was for diversity, you see. He was doing it for diversity. So when he uh, came across these two females that were uh, state police, he uh, said, oh, you should apply here. He put them on like a fast track, basically. And then they got uh, one of them took the job. And he said, you know, she, she was a friend of his. She was a true professional. And when they would ride around in the car and he would make jokes and the banter and um, that when she was getting married and then he would make comments about the negative consequences of marriage, which I'm assuming has to do with their sex life, right? He then says about the the part, so he, he acknowledges that he was saying these inappropriate things, but that's the, I guess, the generational and cultural shift that occurred that you're not supposed to make these kinds of uh, uh, remarks and jokes and such to the cop that is sworn to protect your life as her job. And um, then he says on the, the accusation that he rubbed his hand. What, what did he say? He, uh, she said that he he rubbed his hand down the back of her neck from like the, uh, the, the base of her hairline and like down her neck or whatever. And then down her back or something. And then uh, when he passed by her, he brushed his hand across her stomach and whatever. And he says he, he doesn't recall doing this. But if she said it, I believe her. That's what he says. 
and almost exactly like that. My way, he, he says, he does this to everybody, though. He does it to everyone. It's his way of saying, I see you and I appreciate you. There was no sexual connotation, he says, but it was thoughtless, as in he literally didn't think anything about it. Yeah, that's the, uh, the theme song that Cuomo walked out to. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Andrew Cuomo says he's going to step aside because he loves New York so much that he's going to step aside and not serve the rest of his term Because all of this distraction, this noise, the politics, he built the most diverse cabinet ever, even more diverse than when the black guy was the governor of New York. He was was more diverse than that. And it's his politics. This is all just politics. And then he was kind of like, he did a a couple little hitches here and there. I'm, I'm not buying any of it, by the way. I believe the man is a raging sociopathic narcissist. I don't believe he's capable of of feeling these feelings. I think he can can try to mimic them to some degree, but I don't think he can actually feel these feelings. Um, his <laughs> his defense was, quote, in my mind, I have never crossed the line with anyone. But I didn't realize the extent to which the line has been redrawn. (laughs) See, so it's not that he's to blame. He didn't do anything wrong. He's not guilty of anything. It's everybody else that changed things. It's very much like, um, well, you know, like back in the day, you used to be able to just walk around sniffing young girls hair and stuff and then you know the line changed and now people look at joe biden they're like oh that's kind of creepy right same thing really is what andrew cuomo was talking about oh i'm sorry was i not supposed to rub my hand across the person's stomach as they held the door open for me because that's what i've been doing this is what he said i'm not kidding this is what he said he does it to everybody this is along the lines of you know hey i kiss everybody I'm Italian. I kiss everyone. Hey, yo. Like, really? That's your argument. I'm sorry that uh, you were offended by my groping of you. <laughs> this was his initial take. The The defense is not much better today. Um, let me see here. He says that when someone holds the door open for him, he often gives them a pat on the stomach. What? Or the arm, he did say that. Or, you know, the shoulder or something. He's just very handsy. He's a handsy kind of guy. Is that wrong? What's wrong with that? I'm Italian. Hey, we're handsy. (laughs) I'm just like... So your defense is, don't blame me, I'm a stereotype. (laughs) Is that what it is? And a bad one, too. Like... And one that I'm not even really aware existed. I I mean, I am from New York originally. I haven't, well, I I take it back. I was about to say I haven't been back in a while, but that's not true. I was there this past weekend. And I was actually around 
Some Italian people, you know what they were not doing? Any of this. They weren't doing any of this. So I don't know. Uh, I, I worked in Italian in an Italian restaurant. Lots of Italians there. Very Italian Italians. Didn't see any of the groping going on there either. Um, but again, that was a long time ago. Well, actually, that would have been around, around about the time when probably before the generational shifts occurred, right? I would think so. By the way, this message is not for us. Andrew Cuomo's, and I bailed on that thing, and then we went to the commercial break, and he was still going, and he actually wrapped up, like, with some references to the Statue of Liberty, Excelsior, and, you know, reach for the stars, and, like, like a pep rally kind of, like he's giving a speech on the floor of the Democratic Convention, which I assume he's only what going to be like four years away because that's what the Democrats do when you get accused of this kind of stuff. They end up like letting you speak at the conventions. Um, and so I assume maybe that's what this was about. No, he was talking to progressives. That's who he was talking to. When he started listing all of his achievements, all of those achievements were from the progressive wish list, right? This is who he's trying to placate right now, the leftists, which good luck with that (laughs) because, yeah, they don't care. You're never woke enough, Andrew. You're never woke enough. When it's your time to burn, you burn. Them's the rules that the progressives play by. Sorry, I don't make them. Yeah, they will. They when you have uh, ceased any utility for them, they will toss you aside. Well, unless you're Bill Clinton, which tells me that actually that he still has some utility. <laughs> this, yeah, this was a message for uh, for progressives, not for us. Um, there is, there's going to be. I mean, there are because what he's already gotten a, a, a criminal complaint filed against him now. So that's that's the way this is going. His defense attorney went up there and made some comments too. So everybody kind of, I think, uh, saw the writing on the wall that he was about to uh, that he was about to step down. Which again, I am claiming credit for. Because I predicted that he would not step down. And so when I make predictions, the opposite happens. Um, I can use this power for good or bad. Just a heads up. All right. Um, We had the Charlotte City Council last night. They went and approved their non-discrimination ordinance. I watched it, so you didn't have to. I only pulled two sound bites. Uh, They are kind of lengthy, though. It's the, the, the big chunks. These are, what what do you, all right, so you got, these are bulk, right? Cuts, chunks, and bulks. These are the uh, the lengths of the clips. I have a producer now, and he's teaching me these things. This is the lingo. I just call them all cuts. They're very lengthy cuts, so that makes them bulk. Well, it's of Bokhari, Councilman Tark Bokhari, and Councilman Ed Driggs. And I did not pull any of the audio of any of the people that got up there and spoke. There were probably... I don't know, half a dozen or so people that got up there opposed to the non-discrimination ordinance. And I think all but one of them was very much like the fire and brimstone kind of uh, rhetoric, you know, uh, evangelical kind of, you know, uh, Bible thumping rhetoric. And then there was uh, everybody else that was there speaking in support of it. And you kind of knew immediately who was going to be opposed to it. And who was going to support it? Because the people who supported it, the first thing that they said when they got up there were their pronouns. And like, 
I don't need your pronouns for you to give a public comment. Okay? I don't need your pronouns. And I'm not going to remember them. Sorry. Not trying to be offensive here. But not, I'm not going to remember every single speaker's pronouns. I, I, I'm just not. I'm not going to make a note next to everybody's name about what they prefer to be called. I don't care enough to do that. Especially, especially if you get up there and you are a female and you are telling me that your pronouns are she, her. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> Precisely. Why would you need to tell me that? Just so I don't make a mistake and what, slip up and call you something besides she, her? Why would I do that? That's not our language. It's not the default. Okay. See, this is why I didn't pull the audio. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. So Andrew Cuomo gave his two weeks notice. Uh, he's going to resign as governor 14 days from now. So I'm thinking this was not a good idea as far as press damage control goes. Um, was it last week? Cuomo, his team released all these pictures of him groping and hugging and kissing all these various people all over the place, right? Well, that's all Fox News is using now. <laughs> this is their <laughs> this is their B-roll. They've got just this parade of photographs of him kissing all these different people as they talk about how he's resigning due to his harassment and the accusations against him. Uh, Benji Sarlin who is the policy editor at NBC News, points out that Cuomo, with this resignation, has now capped off a run for New York, not a political run, but a run like a, a, a track record here, for, of, New, of New York politicians in which the prior elected governor resigned. The lieutenant governor who took over in the interim did not run for re-election because of scandals surrounding him, right? The previous attorney general resigned over abuse allegations, and the top Democrat and Republican legislative leaders went to jail in corruption cases. So that's the run that New York is having. <laughs> yeah, it's almost as bad as the uh, as North Carolina's run from like the mid-90s through yeah, roughly 2010. That two-decade period. Uh, see, there are a lot of people who are new to North Carolina that are not aware of North Carolina's uh, history here with uh, a bunch of elected officials that that got into some trouble. I mean, we well, we did have more recently Patrick Cannon, the mayor. He went to jail for the bribery and such. But before that, and we had, uh, well, recently also David Lewis, right, the former Republican uh, lawmaker, would like was uh, embezzling campaign money. Um, that was recently. Um, yeah, and then we had, before that, you know, Governor Mike Easley. They suspended his law license. Um, yeah, he was involved in a whole bunch of shady, shady deals. Um, you had Meg Scott Phipps, the Agriculture Commissioner. I believe she was the last Democrat to hold that job. She went to prison. Um Corruption. I forget exactly the details of that story. I think it was, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it was, uh, well, that doesn't matter. She went to prison. She's out now. 
And um, who else? Oh, Jim Black from Mecklenburg County, the Speaker of the House, and the envelopes of cash at the IHOP up there off of I-85 in Salisbury, where he would meet up with Michael Decker, which, not kidding, that scandal was Black and Decker. That Yeah, Michael Decker took the money, so he would vote for Jim Black for the Speaker of the House. He, well, first he, first he changed his political affiliation from Republican to, I think, Democrat or maybe unaffiliated, I forget what, but he had to do that in order to, uh, to balance out the number of D's and R's in the House in order to give Jim Black enough votes so he could maintain the speakership. And then in exchange, he got, what did he, I mean, obviously there was some money exchanging hands, but I want to say it was his son or his nephew or something. He got some gig with like the Department of Cultural Resources. He got him a state job over it. And and then afterwards, uh, like the next session or something, when the numbers realigned or whatever, and Jim Black then entered into the co-speakership deal. I think um, this is all right off the top of my head, just from memory, because there were a bunch of scale. There was Frank Balance. There's it, it doesn't matter. Point is, North Carolina has had its share of political scandals as well, and um, we welcome New York <laughs> to this to this prestigious club. Oh, by the way. The human rights campaign staff uh, had a a very intense meeting with its president, Alfonso David, um, because this guy has ties to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Uh, a bunch of the HRC folks want David to resign. Uh, this was over at Yahoo News the other day. He's under fire because of his role in responding to sexual harassment allegations against the governor. He was Cuomo's in-house counsel before joining the HRC in 2019. But after the harassment claims emerged last December, Cuomo tapped David and other former staffers and allies to assist with his response. So Alfonso David's role included sharing confidential files regarding one of the accusers, state employee Lindsey Boylan. And he gave these to another member of the governor's team who then provided them to the media in an effort to discredit Boylan. This was according to that report that was released by the attorney general of New York, Letitia James. After that report came out, Alfonso David tweeted that Cuomo should resign, joining a chorus of other activists and many elected officials, including President Joe Biden. But the HRC staff, they are really, really mad at Alfonso David and uh, somebody recorded the meeting <laughs> that was held via conference call, and then it got shared with the Huffington Post, and uh, that's how we know what happened. He said he was, David said he was sickened by the harassment documented in the, uh, the report against Cuomo. He also said that he was not previously aware of any of the allegations against Cuomo. This is funny to me because the human rights campaign, despite its name, they don't actually object to the tactic here. They don't object to the tactic. They objected to the target. <laughs> this is, they didn't like that Alfonso David used this information to try to take out an accuser of Andrew Cuomo. They're okay with the tactics, though, right? Creating these files, uh, you know, doxing people, basically, accumulating oppo research on somebody and then pushing it out there for, uh, for media to use. Like, they're not, they didn't object to the tactic. They just didn't like the target that David was using.
So get this. George Pataki was the last governor of New York to actually serve out the rest of his term, his entire term, without a scandal. That was 2006. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm not, I'm not laughing at New York. I'm no, yeah, no, I'm, I'm laughing at New York and all the voters that put that guy in office. And uh, I do think it's interesting that that's what he, that's what took him down. And it it definitely has an Al Capone tax evasion kind of feel to it. You know, that's the vibe I get from the Andrew Cuomo resignation today. It's, it's, it's more like that's what took him out. You know, it's sort of like Anthony Fauci, you know, I thought when I read the story about how they were doing all these experiments on the dogs, all these puppies and stuff, and I was like, could this be the thing that takes him out? Right? It's not all of the, the terrible stuff. <laughs> it's going to be that. I mean, not that the experimenting on the, on the puppies is bad, too. But, but like with Andrew Cuomo, you got all these thousands of people that died because of his orders, and they gave him a book deal, $5 million, and now he's going to just you know, ride off into the sunset. I mean, the, he ended, oh, and also, the, he ended the speech with saying the Excel, you know, Excelsior. It's, I don't know. It's something, was it New York's logo or something? Their motto, their state word? I don't know. But apparently his dad, Mario Cuomo, said that on the way out the door in his resignation. Or, no, his uh, retirement speech. Yeah. Anyway, closer to home, The Charlotte City Council went ahead and approved their non-discrimination ordinance that everybody knew this was going to pass. Everybody knew this was passing, and uh, still we were subjected to like 45 minutes of speeches of people that were like, you really need to pass this. Like, yeah, if you guys would just stop talking, they will pass it. The votes are there. It's a 9-2 to Democrat majority, and the, the thing passed unanimously. And yeah, so the Republicans signed on. And so that's really, to me, the more interesting component out of this story. First of all, uh, that the Republicans were on board with the non-discrimination ordinance, because why? Politics is downstream of the culture, which most of the speakers, I don't think they understood this concept. They, I think I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because that's what I try to do. I believe that they genuinely think that this ordinance will move people's hearts. This will move the society to a place. But it's, it's actually the reverse. You don't get to the policy unless the people are already there or a critical mass of the people are already there. And they have been. Most people, is, after, you know, the gay marriage, Supreme Court ruling, most people, you know, are there. And I know this is you know, not something that people who are opposed to gay marriage want to hear, but the society was there and then the law caught up to it, even though it was a really terrible Supreme Court <laughs> ruling that did it. We didn't even need it. That's the thing. They didn't need it. They didn't need the Supreme Court. They could have done the laws, but they didn't have the political will to do it. So they just let the lawyer in the robe write the love wins ruling, which was just a terrible. All right, I'm, I'm down a rabbit hole here. Anyway, Tark Bakari, he praises the work of the young Republicans, uh, specifically a fellow by the name of Kyle Lubke, for the work that they were doing 
on this issue for about a year. We'll play the I must cut. give there it is. to Larkin, to Julie, to those who, who have worked hard on this. But at the end of the day, this is undeniably reflective of the young Republican efforts that have occurred as well, in addition to that. So I appreciate that greatly. Um, we expanded protection for natural hair, for veterans, for different groups beyond what was being proposed. We expanded protection areas of employment, housing, general accommodations. And while I am grateful to my colleagues um, for allowing me to work over the last week with the city attorney to strengthen those religious protections, which are now incorporated in what's being proposed here. Uh, and I'm also thankful for the addition of the employment expansions over the weekend. That was critical to a lot of our beliefs, ensuring that in the scenario I used last week, a black woman with natural hair did have discrimination protection in a company of 16 employees, which wouldn't have been the case unless we had made those changes. I think that's great. I do wish that we included housing uh, in this. It was something that we could have pushed more on and done, and I wish that had been the case. But again, as Kyle said earlier, and I'll latch on to, I'm not going to uh, make perfect to the, um, the enemy of, the, of good and achieving something that has, has been far too long here. Um, I, and I think I'll kind of close out by saying I think that one of the things I'm most proud of in that groundwork, eight plus months of work before anyone even knew that we were on some roadshow to talk about it, we came up with the principles, but then we went around the state and we talked to leaders in the General Assembly, statewide groups, Christian leaders, all these others, again, not saying please support us but saying, let's talk it through. We want there to be no surprises. And for those, I just must make a slight comment. For those comparing back to the moments of HB2 and saying, well, we tried this the exact same way there, and it was something that the evil Republicans in the General Assembly um, fought back and made us lose all these businesses, everyone should be um, not pleased with how that all turned out and the different roles that were played. But it was the difference between going out and using this topic to protect people as a sword against political enemies and not communicating and dialoguing versus a shield by which we say we're going to get there in the end. We're just going to make sure that we all do so because with the shield approach, then we could have had protections in place. It may not have been as far as much, but it would have been a step forward. And we took that shield approach today. And I think that's one of the best things of the behind the scenes work to make sure that our partners, we didn't ask everyone to support it or endorse it, we just asked them to be a part of the conversation so that we use this shield in its proper way. All right. HB2, um, I was uh, I was here for it. I remember all of the arguments, right? I was, well, I was in Asheville. I was in North Carolina. So I was watching from afar, but I was covering it from Asheville. And Bakari is correct that that was used, the, the original NDO, right, was used as a sword, not a shield. And that was intentional for political purposes and such. And by the way, this non-discrimination ordinance that was approved last night does not have a bathroom component to it, right, which was the thing that drew the reaction from the state legislature. And the city was asked initially, hey, don't put this provision in because it's too uh, expansive. It's overreaching. You've got penalties in here, which, by the way, last night's NDO did not have the penalty portion fleshed out yet. We've got a soundbite uh, about this. We'll play it after the news. But uh, the mayor did a press conference 
moments ago, earlier to, or not moments ago, I guess an hour or so ago. And uh, Mark Garrison was recording it, and he got a question. Uh, he threw her a question, and so we've got that. We'll take a listen to her answer. But uh, there is there is still doubt about how this NDO is actually going to operate, particularly for uh, businesses that are like a florist or a, uh, you know, a baker. You know, do you have to bake the cake? The Masterpiece Cake Shop uh, uh, example, right? Does a baker have to make the wedding cake and participate, right, through their creative acts in a ceremony that they do not wish to participate in? Do you get to have that right? And I know even as I say it like that, it's like it just makes it just makes me cringe. <laughs> do you get to have that right? Right. And so that's a very real concern still not really addressed in the non-discrimination ordinance. But make no uh, mistake, this will also be used as a sword as well. Not just a shield, it will be used as a sword. All right, we're going to get into more of the details, play some more audio up next. But first, we'll get a listen on the news. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. One of the components of the HB2, uh, uh, the, the non-discrimination ordinance that prompted HB2, nobody ever really talks about this, and I understand why, but it is really vital, was that they were going to start fining business owners for not having the correct bathroom setup. Right. If any business tried to you know, have sex or sorry, gender specific restrooms or showers or facilities like that, uh, they were going to get fined. And that's what the Republicans were objecting to, that businesses should be able to offer those types of facilities. And. Look, I've had arguments with people and like there was a state lawmaker. Uh, he's still in the legislature. Brian Turner is the state rep. He was on my show at the time, and uh, he's a Democrat, and he was against HB2, and so we were discussing this, and he's got a, at the time, it was a young daughter, and I said, all right, well, let's say we're at the airport, and um, you let her go into the, you're going to stand there on the side, and she's going to go off into the bathroom, and you watch her walk into the bathroom, and you see me follow her in. What do you do? And he said he would go and try to find some security. Well, first he kind of dodged a little bit. And then I was like, you know, drag him back to the question. And he said he would go find somebody. I said, I don't think you would. I think you would. I think you would go in there and you would confront me. Right? Because that, the, the, my point was that we are all the bathroom police. Right? In, in our society, we all kind of self-police this stuff. And because the left was making this big argument against McCrory. Oh, he's the potty police. He wants to check everybody in the bathroom and all this stuff. Like everybody does this. This is all of our jobs. Right. You see some guy checking out the girls in the girls room. Are you going to do something about it? Well, first off, why are you in the girls room? That's, I guess, the first question I should ask. So but that's why I said, you know, you're following somebody in. So this was this was the heart of the matter was that it was the enforcement component of this and the fines that were going to go against businesses 
in, uh, that, that refused to comply, basically, with the Charlotte ordinance. And I'll never forget, the city attorney, Bob Hageman, at the time, was asked about this enforcement component, and he literally says that they're just not going to enforce these things, that, that they're going to put the, the law or the ordinance on the books, but, you know, we're not really going to enforce this stuff. That was the answer for the concerns over the enforcement was that we'll just tell the cops don't enforce it. And that's not the way you do law. It's not the way you do law. If you're not going to enforce it, don't put it on the books. It's a fundamental principle here, right? Like if you're not going to enforce the law, then don't make it. What's the point otherwise? Well, we know what the point was, right? The point was to score political points for specific politicians. This checks the boxes. This does check the boxes. And it doesn't do the things that the North, uh, the original non-discrimination ordinance did that prompted HB2. It doesn't have the bathroom provision. And right now, apparently, there isn't any enforcement mechanism attached to this. So they're going to work on it. <laughs> and I suspect it will be used to target business owners. I have no doubt it will be used to target business owners. I heard somebody at the uh, one of the public speakers last night said, we're not looking to use this to go after people. We just want to be protected. And that's garbage. It's garbage. They of co- There are people that will, of course, use this to go after people. As soon as they know what the enforcement mechanisms, they're going to be fines. Like, how are you going to go after these people? They will do so. There are not all of them, obviously. Not everybody is going to try to weaponize this. But it doesn't take everybody. It just takes a somebody, a couple somebodies with the means and the desire to make a point. And there are people on the left that are very interested in doing that. So (laughs) I fully anticipate this will be used as a, quote, sword, as uh, Councilman Tark Bakari uh, talked about. Um, Let me go over here. I'll pick up Stan. Hello, Stan. Welcome to the program. How are you? IP, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, I thought I would call you and tell you something funny that I saw the other day, and I wanted you to know if this complies. Of course, this was in uh, Lancaster County, South Carolina. Whoa, 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 whoa. It was, where, where, where was this? In Lancaster, South Carolina. This all right, all right, hang on, hang on. South Carolina. Stan, hang on, Stan. Lancaster. Yes. Lancaster. Not- Lancaster. No, 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 Lancaster. Lancaster. Lan- Lancaster, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm just trying to help you blend in. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Lancaster, because, yeah. They get, they'll get upset with you down there if you say Lancaster, because oh, sure. that's Pennsylvania. That's Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is Lancaster, South Carolina. Go, all right, go ahead. So, well, I went to this place of business, and I want to know if this could comply with the ordinance. I went to this place of business, and one of the restrooms said women on it, and the other door said others. I don't know if that – yeah, I guess that would comply. Well, wait a minute. No, would it not – well, it's like half compliance. Well, no, the bathroom ordinance is not so. Bathrooms are not included in the non-discrimination ordinance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But basically, you've included some things for everybody. That wait, say that again. You've included something for everybody. True. Yeah. If you have the other, then it's yeah. But wait, so the dudes don't get their own bathroom? No, they don't get their own bathroom. Just the women. Well, now I feel like a victim. <laughs> Even though I've never been to this place, but <laughs> all right, thank, thank you, Stan. All right, I appreciate it. Um, that's yeah, that's and and feelings. You know, these are these are my truths. This is my truth. I I feel victimized by the labeling on the door that was at a restaurant that I don't even know the name of and have not been to. But this is my truth. 
This is my cigarette. My okay. While Charlotte has the has had the authority to enact new protections for gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, and natural hairstyles since December, the city council waited until August second to review a proposed non-discrimination ordinance commonly referred to as an NDO for the first time. This was the story at the Charlotte Observer. Yes. Why did they wait so long? Why did they wait? Because they could have done something back in December when the law expired, right? This, when that law, HB 142, which was 142, or sorry, 140 times better than HB 2, HB 142, they ex- it expired, sunsetted, right? And they, they basically just said, okay, for five years, nobody's doing anything, okay? <laughs> All these cities, stop with the NDOs. Everybody take a breath. Five years. You guys take another shot at this. <laughs> and uh, and they could have done something back in December or January or February or March or April. And I could go on. I could go on. Um, speaking of going on, Boomer Von Cannon's going on right now. Talk about the traffic. Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender. We'd like to weigh in. Oh, by the way, uh, Pete.Callender at Radio-1.com. That's the email. Or you can hit me up on the Twitter machine. It's at Pete Callender. You can also call it 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, according to the Charlotte Observer's write-up on the NDO vote last night, it was unanimous. Customers and visitors cannot be discriminated against in places of public accommodation. The non-discrimination ordinance does not apply to religious organizations, including those with paid employees where a condition of employment requires adherence to tenets of religion. And for folks who are like, oh, my gosh, the bigotry. Just think of it in terms like this. Islam. <laughs> just instead of thinking of the Christians and all of the the different things that they do and, and believe with the roles of men and women and uh, sexuality and uh, gender identity and all that stuff. Just it, just push that out of your head for a moment and just think about what you know about Islam, because they have some things along those lines, too. All right, and, and now formulate your response accordingly. <laughs> uh, there's also an exemption for private clubs or membership-based groups, which is the concern that the people had, the Republicans had, uh, initially over the ordinance five years ago that prompted HB2. So they've got an exemption in there. It does not cover protections for political affiliation, though, despite a separate proposal from Tark Bakari. Uh, it did not. It was nine to two. So, look, there are a couple things and people are uh, probably questioning. Why would the two Republicans vote for this non-discrimination ordinance? And I've got the. Uh, in fact, let me play. This is Ed Driggs um, from the council meeting last night. He's the other Republican, the two whole Republicans on the. <laughs> the Charlotte City Council. And here's what Ed Driggs uh, explaining his vote. This is why he voted for it. Cue the clip. 
Uh, early in my business career, I worked in New York City at a time when many gay people were afraid to be recognized and lived anxious, secret lives. <laughs> Some of them came out to me privately, trusting that I wouldn't judge them or reveal their secret. I thought it was wrong then that they were afraid, and I think so now as well. In fact, I would go a step further, as been as suggested tonight, and say that there should be a prohibition of any kind of discrimination, properly defined. It would be wrong to treat a person badly because of their physical stature, their red hair, or say the school they attended. What if your boss is an alumnus of a university that loses an NCAA final against your school and denies you a promotion because they resent you as a result? That wouldn't be right. And now to Mr. McCarry's substitute motion, I will say he points out rightly that political affiliation should be a protected class, which is particularly pertinent in this politically polarized day and age where political differences can pit even old friends and families against each other. There have been well-publicized cases nationally and locally of political discrimination in places of public accommodation, Starbucks, Sarah Huckabee, and it's easy to imagine that offenses occur in the workplace as well. Why not guard against that kind of discrimination too? Nonetheless, this ordinance is something we can do to discourage a man's inhumanity to man, so I intend to support it. I do think, however, that we have a responsibility to acknowledge some legitimate concerns of those who oppose it and not brush all of those people aside as uncomprehending, uncomprehending bigots. And I would refer to Ms. Peacock tonight, who I think made that case very well. In my mind, the valid issues can be broadly summarized as a fear of unintended consequences and not hostility towards the LGBTQ community. For example, the most significant feature of our new ordinance is its application of NDO protections to employment. The federal and state government laws against discrimination expressly exclude companies with 14 or fewer employees because these companies do not have the lawyers and other resources to meet compliance reporting standards and to defend themselves against suits. We need to recognize that some members of protected classes have used, have used and will use their protected status to contest promotion decisions or other actions of employers that have nothing to do with discrimination. Correct. Small companies have fewer defenses against groundless discrimination claims. Correct. They might even lean against hiring members against the LGBTQ plus community because they don't want to run the risk of dealing with an untouchable employee. Correct. Our city attorney has noted that legal risk is associated with our employment protection and I'm concerned that they may have unintended consequences. Second, our proposed ordinance acknowledges that state and federal laws protecting religion will be respected, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But there is still a lack of clarity about the position of someone who declines to provide a service because of their religious beliefs. The issue here is one again of unintended consequences. We should not let our prohibition of hateful behavior deny a genuine conscientious objector their constitutional right to adhere to sincere religious beliefs. In spite of certain misgivings I have about the NDO, I will support adoption in the hope that it will help promote harmony in our fractious community. It will help promote harmony. We'll see. <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe I'm a bit of a cynic on this sort of thing, but uh, unintended consequences, that is kind of government's jam. That is right in their wheelhouse. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not confident that this mechanism will not be abused. I'm not confident. I suspect it will be. And, uh, there are, and, and look, in a small business where you've got, you know, owner, wife, maybe three employees or so, 
do you think that that kind of operation is going to be able to marshal the kinds of forces necessary to uh, to beat back and win uh, a frivolous kind of a complaint? Because the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to go to the uh, Community Relations uh, Commission, right, the CRC, and, and they're going to conciliate, like mediate. They're going to talk it out, see if they can quash it. And then what? Then the city attorney is going to start levying fines, although they don't really know because that has to be determined later. They're sending it to the Budget and Effectiveness Committee, the Budget and Effectiveness Committee, which is kind of an oxymoron. All right, time now for a check on (laughs) the news. Mark Muller in the WBT News Center. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Breaking news from, well, I guess not really breaking news. Well, it's breaking if you haven't heard it. The lieutenant governor of North Carolina has an in-house attorney, so the general counsel for the lieutenant governor, uh, he was apparently arrested over the weekend at a restaurant in in Fuquay, Varina. And he was charged with resisting state alcohol law enforcement officers. Brian Levecki? 40 years old, quote, interjected himself into an ALE inspection at the Brickhouse Bar and Grill. (laughs) And when he would not stop interfering, he was arrested and booked on a pair of obstruction charges. Now, the restaurant owner said that Levecki is her attorney. (laughs) And that he interrupted the agent's to advise her not to answer their questions. And that's why they arrested him. That's where we are, I guess, in Fuquay, Varina. I, yeah, she's... I'm just reading some of the, the ALE spokesperson. They conducted a surprise inspection at the restaurant Friday at about 11 p.m. And I guess he just happened to be there. He was a patron... He was there. He entered the kitchen and interjected himself into the special agent's conversation with the owner. So apparently you're not allowed to do that. Did you know that? I was unaware that you work in restaurants. I was unaware that you're not allowed to have your lawyer present when the ALE folks show up and they start questioning you. You're not allowed to have a lawyer present and giving you advice at that interview. You learn something new every day listening to this show. Does the lawyer have to like leave the building? Like, <laughs> yeah, like are they like ushered out? I mean, he was a patron and a lawyer. Maybe, maybe he was like that guy Ed, like that had his law practice at the bowling alley on TV. That documentary Ed, right? Like this. Maybe he's got his law practice. Well, no, because he's he works at the lieutenant governor's office. But of course, this is. This is all about Mark Robinson, obviously. This is somehow his failing. This is a story that smears Mark Robinson because the lawyer works as the general counsel for the lieutenant governor. And so he got arrested for serving in sort of a private capacity 
for this bar owner. Do you think he said something like, do you know who I am? Do you think he may have said something like that? Yeah, that seems like the thing that he would lead with. <laughs> I have no idea. All right, so I'll, uh, I'll monitor that that situation. All right, so let's play this audio because Ryan didn't think I would actually play it. All because the first day I got on the air, I had all these sound bites of Anthony Fauci racked up, and I never played any of them. So let us, you know, prove me to be honest and play the soundbite. This was from uh, Mayor Vi Lyles's news conference. I guess this was just over, well, I know it was over WebEx. I tried to get into it, but for some reason I was not allowed into it or something. I couldn't get any of the audio. But Mark Garrison in the WBT newsroom, he got in and he got to ask a question. So let's take a listen, shall we? Around the country, you know, there have been uh, cases of florists and bakers who have declined to work on same-sex weddings because of their beliefs. I'm a little fuzzy on, uh, with what was passed last night, if that were to happen here, what would be the consequence for the business owner who said, I can't participate in a same-sex wedding because of my religious beliefs? Now, I am not a lawyer, and I'm not going to pretend to play one at this podium. So what I'm going to suggest is I have read um, the reports of that those cases that all came together before the state or the Supreme Court. And I would suggest that we take a look at that um, and that what you found is that there were settlements in those cases that were reasonable and I think um, appropriate by the state so the Supreme Court. What? what I would say is that any person that goes through um, that process and looks at what's legal and what we can do with this ordinance, we will have the same kind of result. What? So that's where I think we are with that. What? How is it possible to string that many words together and not say anything? Like, play that again. Like, it's not just me, right? Like, I, do, you, do you understand what she's... All right, play it again. Play it again, Ryan. See if we can play it again. I'm going to play it twice. I am not a lawyer, and I'm not going to pretend to play one at this podium. So what I'm going to suggest is I have read um, the reports of that those cases that all came together before the state or the Supreme Court. And I would suggest that we take a look at that um, and that what you found is that there were settlements in those cases that were reasonable and I think um, appropriate by the state... So the, Supreme Court. What I would say is that any person that goes through um, that process and looks at what's legal and what we can do with this ordinance, we will have the same kind of result. So that's where I think we are with that. Now, I still don't understand what you say. Cases came before the Supreme Court and that there were reasonable settlements. Is she talking about rulings? Rulings by the Supreme Court? Because then she says states, but then she kind of sounded like she was correcting herself by saying Supreme Court. So is she calling the ruling settlements? Is that? Because as I understand it, the Supreme Court in these decisions didn't actually take up the, the meat of the matter, right? They, as it usually does, right? The court avoids, <laughs> avoids answering the tough question. Uh, preferring instead to leave stuff really nebulous so lawyers get to keep suing and people get to keep doing stuff because they they went right back after that Colorado baker, right? They went right after him again. So I, I, I don't think she's answered this question. I don't think Garrison got, um, I don't think he got a clear answer on this. And part of it is also, 
she she's limited by the fact here that she doesn't know because the ordinance doesn't include the kind of um, uh, like levying steep fines, uh, which is what people have been saying the city should do. Like, what is the enforcement mechanism here? Who would be in charge of doing that? Uh, is the the city basically going to be creating some sort of a, a body like we saw in Colorado? I think it was called like the Civil Rights Commission or something. And that's the body that they used to go after the baker to make him make the cake, which, again, every time I go over the story, why on earth would you want somebody making your wedding cake when he doesn't want to make the cake? Why would you go to court to force somebody to make your cake? Would you eat that cake? I would not. I would not eat a cake from somebody who's like, I really don't want to make you a cake. I don't want to participate at all in this event, and I don't want to feed you. And you're like, you're going to feed me. I'm like, okay. I would not eat that cake. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. A couple of final comments here on the uh, non-discrimination ordinance. What the Democrats essentially voted for last night, and the two Republicans as well, in voting for the non-discrimination ordinance was essentially an endorsement that, you know, you're not supposed to discriminate against people um, for all of these reasons, you know, gender identity and sex and race and ethnicity and natural hair and veteran status, familial status. So bad. Don't do that. But you can fire people if they go to a Trump rally. You can fire all of your MAGA employees. Uh, you can also fire all of your Black Lives Matter employees. Yeah, you could do that, too, apparently. Um, because it, it works the other direction. I'm not sure people uh, were really thinking this through <laughs> when they were like, oh, no, no. I, we're not going to put partisan affiliation. It does make me wonder, will anybody ask the Democrats why they were opposed to putting partisan affiliation in there? Because nobody really explained why they opposed that. And honestly, if like if I'm going to play the game the way that people in the media and the left, but I repeat myself, uh, play the game, then uh, I would say, like, well, that means that they want to discriminate against their political opponents. I'm going to assume their motives, right? Because that's what they do with the right. They assume motives. They say, clearly you have a different policy position, and the reason why you have that policy position is because you have a particular motivation. Usually it's the you know racism, it's sexism, it's bigotry, it's, you know, whatever. It can't simply be a different opinion, uh, you know, make different, you know, you have a different idea of how to get there. You have a similar goal. Like, I think everyone's goal is the same, right? That you want people to be treated fairly, but you don't want to force people to do things to which they object. But maybe not. <laughs> maybe there are people that, that want to force people to do things to which they object. Maybe that's what they think is the more harmonious route. See, but I, I'm going to assume that they, that they don't. I'm going to assume the best of intentions. I try to at least. But if I were not to do that, if I were to play this game like they play it, I would say that they want to protect their ability to discriminate against political opponents. 
They want to be able to fire as many conservatives, as many Republicans, as many uh, Trump supporters as they wish. Um, and, uh, you know, I could also then make the joke that would be completely uncalled for, obviously. I would, you know, could make the joke that, well, no, Pete, you see, that couldn't possibly work because they don't actually own the businesses. The Republicans are the ones that own all of the businesses, not the Democrats. That would be just a terrible joke. Maybe a little bit funnier with the rim shot. Maybe just a, a smidge. The other point here, though, is um, there's no data. Where is the data on how often these types of discrimination occur? And I don't say that as a way to minimize what they did and to say that they shouldn't have done it. I'm just genuinely curious. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not asking this in some sort of you know, snarky way, like, oh, I'm just asking what I am genuinely curious, like, why wasn't there any data? How has how is it possible that after HB2 five years ago, how is it possible that nobody went and collected data on any of these cases? Like, is there rampant discrimination? How often does this occur? What types of discrimination where you know, in Charlotte or in North Carolina? Like, where where's the data? Like, everybody is convinced that this is happening. But there's no data presented, yet we passed the law. And as I'm asking this question and I'm thinking this through last night, it kind of strikes me that um, it's kind of like voter ID, election integrity stuff. <laughs> you know, it is. It's kind of like that where, except they don't pass laws, obviously. Like they, they refuse to go along with a voter ID law. But what's the purpose of a voter ID? It's, it's to try to right, address a situation, address a concern that there is election fraud. And so what do they say? Well, there's, well, first they say there's no, no it doesn't happen. There's no need for this. It, you know, vote fraud, it doesn't really happen. Then you can present them with evidence that, yes, in fact, it does happen. And here are the cases. And then they say, well, it, okay, fine. It doesn't happen a lot, though, right? Then you present more cases, and then it's like, okay, well, it doesn't happen enough to affect outcomes, Right. They always have these fallback positions. Right. Then you show them, well, actually, here are a couple elections that were decided by a coin toss. It could have affected those outcomes or whatever. Then they retreat back to, well, it doesn't actually prevent a voter ID won't prevent that kind of fraud. And usually as they retreat, this is sort of Mott and Bailey kind of tactic. You know, as they constantly fall back to these other positions, eventually you go away. Eventually, you know, you get tired of writing on the Facebook thread or, or, you know, you're tired of talking to them at the, at the dinner party. Um, and, and so you just walk away and then they immediately go all the way back out <laughs> to their original position. And if you ever encounter them again in this debate, they start there again. And so I just, I, I, I note the similarities here. There's no data yet. They're perfectly willing to pass this ordinance because they say it's happening. It's happening all over the place. They have no data to show that, but this ordinance is going to protect people. Yet on election integrity measures, there is actual data that shows vote fraud, election fraud problems do occur, but they say it's not enough. So we don't need any new laws. (laughs) Yeah. It's very convenient like that. Um, Dean, welcome to the show. Hello, Dean. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. What's up? I was wondering if you knew or in that ordinance and that the thing about hair, how did that get in there? It seems sort of out of context or something, or was there a big deal about it or something or what? Yeah, well, I mean, people 
can't, people have been uh, told that they, you know, cannot work at a certain place if their natural hair is not up to a certain, I don't know, doesn't meet a certain standard. And what their argument is that that is their natural hair. And you're like, uh, for example, um, cornrows or dreadlocks or, or you know, big afros. And, and they experience discrimination because an employer says, you know, you got to change your hair to fit with our standard. And they're saying, well, this is my natural hair. And so that's now protected. What about like fingernails and you know? No, it's just just natural hair, just the natural hair. Okay, don't don't go anywhere else then. I guess. Well, no, as far as I know, it's just the it's just the hair component. I don't know if you. It sounded like you were in a wind tunnel too, Dean. Uh, I appreciate the call. Uh, And and yeah, because I mean, and and that does happen. Obviously, it does happen. People have reported that happening. But again, what's the data? How often does that happen? I don't know. And nobody's really collecting stats on this sort of stuff. That's the that's the response I got from Kyle Lubke last night. And, and I understand that up until now there wasn't really this big data collection effort, but I but only to a certain extent because at some point wouldn't like nonprofits try to engage in some sort of data collection or wouldn't uh, some university researchers? Again, especially in the wake of HB two, it seems like that would have been an area for people to focus on and then to try to, you know, mount a case using statistics. But, you know, what do I know, right? Just a radio guy. Now, the other thing here is why would the Republicans go along with this? Well, first off, trains already, you know, left the station on this. It was going to pass no matter what. So Republicans knowing that and, you know, trying to make the ordinance kind of fit with their principles, they go out and they, talk with people and they try to make these exemptions and get the protections and all of that. But the other thing is that it insulates them from attacks from the LGBT community, right? It, it, it insulates them from that. Uh, also, it highlights the fact that Democrats are okay with some discrimination. They're okay with it. And obviously. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. I got a tweet from Helion2172. In the cake baking deal, as a base example, what would happen if that baker had just made a really crappy cake and then handed that to the customer? I mean, wouldn't that make the activity slash argument a wash? And if compelled again, you just make another crappy cake. And then on and on and on. I guess you could do that. But then you get a reputation for, you know, doing bad cakes. (laughs) Right? Uh, And and I don't know. Like, I guess you could do that. But uh, but now he's got a reputation as being a bigot, right? So, like, what's better? (laughs) Well, the... There's going to be test cases. It's going to happen. So I don't know. Maybe that's a way around it. But like a photographer, that's like, I don't know how you get around that. Because if you don't want to participate in something and someone wants to hire you for your creative skills, your artistic abilities, um, 
and you don't want to take the gig, do you have to take the gig? And my default position is towards freedom, towards liberty, like less government. That is always my default position. And it, I, or I, I try to make it so. And uh, if there is some compelling reasons, I can be persuaded that maybe government intervention might be required. But no, I don't. In that case, maybe if you were the only baker in the entire world, then maybe there could be some form of like, hey, you got to make some cakes because literally nobody else knows how to make a cake. Like maybe in that scenario, the world's last baker which I guess would probably be a king, right? He'd work for the king. Um, oh, get this. New York Post headline. U.S. pleads with Taliban to stop seizing Afghan cities in final days before troop pullout. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> please, Taliban, please, please stop. Stop taking the cities as we leave. Um, also, this is a kind of a related story. Where is it? Uh, oh, yeah. Earlier this summer, the White House announced a new front in the Biden administration's campaign to get more Americans vaccinated against the Wuhan coronavirus. That being social media influencers. This is the story at townhall.com by Spencer Brown. It all started with actor and singer Olivia Rodrigo who visited the White House in July to speak at the daily press briefing, talk with the president, and film videos with Dr. Fauci, all with the goal of pushing more young people to get vaccinated. According to a report from the New York Times, the White House has recruited Village Marketing to find and enlist young influencers on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Twitch to push their audiences to get vaccinated as the Biden administration frets about the Delta variant, and other future variants. The latest one <laughs> that they have is an individual by the name of Benny Drama 7, a.k.a. Benito Skinner, who I guess does a character called Cooper, K-O-O-P-E-R. Have you seen this video yet? Seen video You've yet. seen the video? It's awful. <laughs> and that's why I'm going to play it for you, because it's awful. Um, Cooper, the Gen Z White House intern, is the name of this video that he put together on the TikTok uh, to help China scrape as much possible information as possible uh, about him. And so he's at the White House, and you're going to hear he references, well, Je Jen Psaki makes an appearance or two. So when you hear another voice, that's Jen Psaki. And you're going to miss some stuff, obviously, because this is just the audio version of it, but I really think you're going to be able to capture and understand just the obnoxiousness and cringiness of the video. Here we go. Let's see if it'll play in three, two, one. One sec. Democracy's calling. <laughs> see you, Daddy. Bye. Hi, my name is Cooper, and this is a day in my life as a White House intern. <laughs> we did a joke. <laughs> hey, everyone. Uh oh, okay. Usually I start off with a big coffee. Sorry, they're like really strict in here. Hey Jenny, I booked you a nail appointment, love. Yeah, I didn't tell you to do that. It's called initiative. <laughs> Hi, White House, this is Cooper. Mm, I don't think so. Oh, doesn't matter. 
This is actually the entrance to the West Wing. This is so fun and it's really prestigious. Hey, POTUS. Is Olivia Rodrigo still here? No. We've come a long way in our fight against this virus. We've vaccinated 160 million Americans. Are you getting this all down? Don't worry, Queen. It's all right here. Cooper. Sorry, Miss Jen. Don't forget to have fun. Spirit fingers, mama. We need to get shots in the arms of every single American. I'm heading to a haircut. Comment if you want me to make more of these. I, I'm not, I, w- I will not comment. <laughs> Do not make any more of these. All right, look, I get it. I'm not the target audience for this obviously right but i really do think this is going to reach all of those vaccine hesitant trump supporters i really like they really know how to message for the the people who i am told are to blame for all of the the rampant spread of the delta variant right it's the it's all of the 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 maga heads it's all of the Trumpkins. It's all of the Republicans and the the rural white people, right? That's all. They're the reason why everyone's getting sick from COVID now. Not that it's a virus and it's just behaving as a seasonal virus. It's not that. It's and it's definitely not all of the unvaccinated populations everywhere else that are actually, you know, not Trump supporters. Like what was the the video the other day? Cam Newton looking like the dude from. V for Vendetta, the Guy Fawkes character. Make sure you pronounce that one correctly on the radio. Um, That's what he looked like. He has this huge hat on, and he's like, what what was his answer when they they asked him if he was vaccinated? Do you remember what he said, Ron? He said, uh, was he one of the ones that said it was a personal matter? Personal matter, matter, right. It was a personal matter. So he's not going to answer the question. Yes, noted rural white American MAGA supporting... Cam Newton, <laughs> not vaccinated. <laughs> well, maybe he is. He wouldn't answer. But generally, I have found every single person that's vaccinated always says they're vaccinated. I do. Like, I, I throw it out there, like, I, and I never thought I would be this person. You know, like, hey, what's going on? And I can tell people are like, oh, uh, uh, I'm like, don't worry, I'm vaccinated. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. But you just throw it out there. I even made up a shirt. <laughs> like, it says, well, vaccinated, not that it's any of your business. Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. This is an interesting story from Reason.com. Apparently a bunch of gyms in Washington, D.C. approached the local government there and uh, made an offer, a potential deal. They said, look, if you can let us reopen the gyms um, without masks, we will require vaccines for the people who come. And... Like the the um, uh, reason reporter Robbie Soaf, he's like, this is a great deal because the vaccines are better than masks, right? Like that's that's the idea. The goal is to get everybody vaccinated, not to get everybody wearing masks forever. And so this would have been a good deal that the city was offered, and the city said no. Why would the city say no? Whenever you're confused about a result. It's always a good idea to go and re-examine the assumptions. And what would be the assumption here that would make this an odd decision? The assumption would be that they're actually trying to get everybody vaccinated, right? Or that they 
or that they want the mask mandate to go away. And if you discard that assumption and you just look at the result, why would they say no? Now, all of a sudden, a lot more options become available that might explain why they would do such a thing. It's an interesting story at Reason.com. Um, all right, so, oh, by the way, one last point here on the uh, the influencer video that uh, was this Cooper, uh, the Gen Z White House intern guy. He, uh, or, well, sorry, he did not say his pronouns beforehand, so I, I'm going to call him he, and I'm not trying to, you know, microaggress anybody or, you know, trigger anybody. I'm not trying to be offensive, but this person... Benito Skinner, a.k.a. Benny Drama 7, a.k.a. Cooper, the Gen Z White House intern that uh, was recruited by the White House to do influencer videos on TikTok um, to get people to get the vaccine. I would point out here that as the candidate for president, Joe Biden, he tweeted out in October of 2020, quote, Eight months into the pandemic and President Trump doesn't have a plan to get the virus under control. Coincidentally, we are eight months into the Biden term <laughs> and this is his plan to get the virus under control. It's to bring in Benny Drama 7. <laughs> That's the plan. All right. Good to know. What else we got? Oh, yesterday after I got off the air, I went back and uh, fired up the laptop pulled up the North Carolina legislature live stream and watched the debate over House Bill 805 because that's what I do for fun. <laughs> After a tough day at the office, I go home and I watch legislative debates. Actually, though, this is important because um, this bill, House Bill 805, the short title is Preventing Rioting and Civil Disorder. Basically, this is going to increase the penalties for people convicted of rioting. And I got to sympathize with Democrats on this, specifically the two senators, state senators from um, Mecklenburg County, Senator Machaba Muhammad and Natasha Marcus. I sympathize like you guys, you're trying to make an argument against this thing. And you're just you're trying to find some way to justify your opposition to it because your base requires you to oppose any kind of increased penalties for assaulting law enforcement or first responders. Like, you don't want to cross the Antifa black block mob. I get it. Like, I understand you don't want to be seen. This is, this, this is by the way, like, again, I point this out. I've spent the last eight years in Asheville where you've got sort of this, you know, older, more... Um, you know, more buttoned up kind of uh, progressive crowd, and they coddle the young LARPer anarchists, the LARPer communists. Um, the LARPer, a LARPer is a live action role player, live action role playing, and, and that's what they do. They, they, these kids are out there, and they're and I say kids, but they're in their twenties and thirties. They just they don't ever they're never forced to grow up and take responsibility for themselves, uh, and so they you know they just go out and they do all these protests, and they're Essentially, you know, the parents that are funding their trust funds, they're like, um, oh, isn't it so cool that he's taking an interest in the world around him? Look at him 
trying to make change. Oh, it reminds me of my own days in the 60s. Oh, my gosh, he's just like me. You know, that, that's the kind of approach that I've seen in Asheville. And I suspect a lot of that is at play here. They're trying to figure out some way <laughs> to oppose increasing the penalty for attacking law enforcement and first responders, right? And it's, it's tough. I, I get it. That's what I'm saying. Like, I understand this is difficult. <laughs> so they're, they're kind of in a jam on this. And it's why it sounds so stupid, some of the arguments that they're making. Look, I wouldn't want to have to try to make these arguments because they, they sound stupid. Right. So uh, that's why you're going to hear some of these uh, the sound bites that I've got here is that they do sound pretty silly. A um, couple things to keep in mind. A riot is actually defined in the law already. Okay, so that's the thing that has to be happening in order for this law, the, the amendment to the law, to take effect. All right, a riot is a public disturbance involving an assemblage of three or more persons, which, by disorderly and violent conduct or the imminent threat of disorderly and violent conduct, results in injury or damage to persons or property, or creates a clear and present danger of injury or damage to persons or property. That's the definition. It's already there. That's what a riot is. Three or more people, disorderly, violent conduct, or the threat of it becoming imminently disorderly and violent. Right? That's, the, that's the definition of a riot. And once you have that occurring, then this would take effect. Any person who willfully engages in a riot, so that behavior... If you are engaging in that rioting behavior, they, they would be found guilty, you know, if proven, obviously, in court, uh, of a Class H felony if in the course of the riot the person brandishes any dangerous weapon or uses a dangerous substance and any person who willfully engages in a riot is guilty of a Class F felony if they cause property damage. Any person who engages in a riot is guilty of a Class E felony if in the course of the riot, the person causes a death. And then there is some other stuff for property damage that they would be able to get sued over. We'll get into some of that up next. First, a check on the news with Mark Muller. Yeah. Never heard this song. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Kalinar here. Let me get Ryan on real quick. Hello, Ryan. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Pete. How are you doing today? I'm all right. I'm good. It's really refreshing to hear you uh, in the <laughs> afternoon. Um, but uh, I, I just wanted to confirm something here real quick and tell you a really super quick story. Based on what you just described, in the state of North Carolina, if you've got two, two opposing forces facing off on the, either end of a line, and somebody walks up and smacks the cell phone out of the hand of another, it is now a riot. Is that right? I mean, property damage and violence, that's really all it takes, right? Somebody's got a cell phone in somebody else's face, you smack it out, and then bam, and all of a sudden it's riot. A riot is a public disturbance involving an assemblage of three or more persons, uh -huh. which by disorderly and violent conduct or the imminent threat of disorderly or violent conduct results in injury or damage to persons or property or creates a clear and present danger of yeah. injury or damage to persons yeah, that's or so, property. So, so really, 
uh, one person doesn't even have to knock their cell phone out of the hand. They just need to say, I'm going to knock that cell phone out of the hand. But, but I mean, as soon as the cell phone hits the ground, it becomes damaged. Now it's a riot. The reason I bring this up and the reason it's so important, we're bringing you back to September of 2002. I had already signed up for the military, and I lived in Alexandria at the time. I went to an anti-war protest in a place called Pershing Park. Uh, the DCPD didn't like the fact that we were, and I wasn't even there to protest the war. I had just signed up. Um, and uh, they didn't give a lawful order to disperse. They just, and, and I was only there to tell the protesters how lucky they are that they live in a country that allows them to protest peacefully, right? Mm-hmm. DCPD, zip cups, uh, uh, put a, a perimeter around all of Pershing Park, let the, let the media out, and arrested every single person in that park with no explanation or, or, or anything. Now, that was illegal. We sued them, and each, each and every protester got $20,000. But the fact that the police can do this thing, what, what, can just arrest people arbitrarily, they, they even made every single person that they arrested um, pay not, not, not a bail, um, just they, had, they all had to pay $270 just to get out of jail, and it, it almost affected my security plan. So we, we, I think, should be loosening these restrictions and not tightening them up. What do you think? So you're citing something that happened in Washington, D.C., right after 9-11 as evidence against this law that's already on the books in North Carolina. So the law that's being proposed actually just changes any person whose person or property is injured by reason of a violation of the section may sue and may Absolutely I am. Right. So so do you think that you think that the the, the D.C. law is applicable to— North Carolina law? I think the way that Washington goes, there goes the rest of the country. And That's a pretty big and, stretch. And, okay, well, how about the, uh, how uh, Charlotte PD mm-hmm. decided to use military tactics? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, think about how punitive this is. Mm-hmm. Decided to use military tactics to box in protesters and then, quote, hammer them with tear gas. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that sound like you're having trouble dealing with protesters to you, Pete? Uh, yeah, that's why... It does sound like they were having trouble dealing with the protesters, hence the tactic. Oh, what? Yeah, that, that's not trouble to me. That, that, that's, that's a hot knife through butter, Pete. It's tear gas, first of all. Right? So the hot knife through butter, I'm not really sure. Like, Was anybody killed? Did the cops kill anybody at the protests? Are they mowing anyone down? There's a higher percentage that a person has a reaction to tear gas and they die. But they didn't. COVID. Okay, but they, but they didn't, Ryan. They didn't. Oh, okay. Right. So, I, so I'm just I, I'm simply pointing out that, like, if you're going to have a, a reasonable discussion about police tactics, I think that you should kind of argue reasonably, right? And so, when you say things like "oh, like a hot knife through butter" kind of thing, like I understand that the tactics that they employed not good, not, and I'm not defending what they did there. Although, I mean, because I know they're doing investigations on it, they just put out the report about it. I have not read up on all of that, so I am at, at a loss to to go over like all the specifics of what occurred. I was just reading it from afar when it happened. But uh, that would not be indicative of of having the, the, the protesters sort of under control. Otherwise, they would not have done that tactic. Yeah, who's, who's doing those investigations again? Are they, they investigating themselves like normal? I, I don't know the answer to that question. I thought the city yes, was doing do. the investigation. Yeah, you do. No, I don't. <laughs> I literally don't know who's doing it. You want to tell me? Who, who's going to investigate? No, you tell. No, Ryan, tell me. Who has traditionally investigated the police? It depends. It depends the on who. Who is doing the investigation, Ryan? 
The SBA, maybe? The what? The, or, or FBI, maybe? Yeah, probably. The State Bureau of Investigations, I Which guess. So the police are going to investigate the police. Oh, so all so you're saying all cops are the ones, uh, so like SBI can't do an investigation of the local PD. Who, who then would do the investigations? An, an independent body. Who would that be? Uh, hire someone. We, we contact like out a lot of people for all kinds of jobs all over the country. But, all right, like who? Like what, with what kind of experience? Investigative experience? Law enforcement uh, uh, experience? People that uh, know the uh, tactics? Like that maybe, kind of person. Maybe unaffiliated attorneys who hire their own private investigators? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, you can put, a, you can put attorneys onto an investigative body. But, like, surely you want to have people with law enforcement understanding and background and training to go and investigate whether or not law enforcement was actually, you know, playing it by the book, right? No, I, I, you I, don't. I, you don't want cops involved in any of that investigative I, process at all. I don't want cops investigating cops because there's clear. I mean, you could say what you just said, and it sounds great, but you could also apply it as bias. And let, let me. Give you I understand that. that. No, I understand. Yeah. That. I'm not saying. Look, I'm not. I'm not blind to the potential for bias. Absolutely, but you've got to have people with a certain level of expertise involved in that process. I'm not disagreeing, but I, I can tell you this. I'm, I'm, I don't want to hog up too much of your time. I know there's plenty not of people that want to talk. I'm sorry. That's no, all right. No, I mean, I'm engaging with you, so it's fine. I, I appreciate that. Being, being from the military, I can tell you on many, many, many occasions, having observed how the police interact with citizens here in, in this country, mm-hmm. that had we interacted with foreign nationals in that way in their country, mm-hmm. it would have caused an international incident. I don't, I, I don't disagree with you either. But in this country, we've got, what, 100 million interactions with people every single year, something like that. I mean, the, like the sheer volume of police interactions with people, you're going to have a certain percentage of them be bad, obviously. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got an email here. Hang on a second. Uh, Brian says, Pete, I thought I heard you say on the air that the U.S. government was asking the Taliban to stop seizing territory. Do we also know if the Taliban has done any pouncing? That's, that's true. No, I'm not aware if they're pouncing as well. Is there pouncing? Is there seizing? Is there salivating? I'm just saying it would be good to know if the Taliban and the GOP can be treated with the same literary standard by the media moving forward. (laughs) That's a fair question. Uh, Hated losing you from Western North Carolina area, but congrats on the new gig and opportunity. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate that. Um, So, yeah, so a couple things that this um, that the change in the riot law uh, would do. That was being discussed and debated. I have a couple of sound bites here, actually. Should I go to the sound bites? Let's try to play a couple of them. I will, Jen Psaki style, circle back to this tomorrow because I've, I mean, I sat through the committee hearing and uh, I pulled all of the audio. So, you know, by golly, I'm going to play it <laughs> at some point. Uh, it's not like just, you know, watching a Fauci interview for a couple of minutes. This was like an hour of my life that I will never get back. Anyway, um, this was the last question that uh, State Senator Mujaba Mohammed asked uh, about the um, the riot bill. And again, this is him trying to trying to find something to hang his hat on or to hang his no vote on. Right. They've got to find a reason to oppose it. And so this is what he kind of came up with. 
First of all, I just want to say again, I can't emphasize enough. No one, I think, that I know of supports damage to property or mm. persons or, or harming any type of life. So mm. I want to make that clear. Obviously, we, we value our emergency personnel, the people in the streets protesting, all that good stuff. But, <laughs> Senator, but uh, all the Speaker good Moore, you talked about your concerns about to property damage and harms to emergency personnel and all that. Does your bill include any type of provisions to help law enforcement uh, um, deal with de-escalation tactics or to some sort of crowd control <laughs> to be able to manage and avoid uh, catastrophic injuries or damage to properties? Any of that in the bill? Wait, all right, wait a minute, wait a minute. You think it's a police training issue that explains why businesses were burned and looted? <laughs> this is, oh, well, I mean, I guess, yes, initially, there was one cop who killed George Floyd up in Minneapolis. And I guess you could say, like, that de-escalation training, like, that's the reason why businesses got burned and looted and that... So is that the kind of training that you're talking about? Here was um, the response that came from the Republican who's running the bill, and it just so happens to be the Speaker of the House, Tim Moore. And I think that's where we is that whereas some on the you know some on the left want to defund the police, right? Uh, I think that the Senate and and the House budget actually showed a commitment to put more money and more resources to law enforcement, including training. But you know, with all due respect, what we're talking about in this bill is strengthening the law to deal with those. Who are who who are bent on one thing when they show up out there, and that is destruction, that is personal injury, uh, that is not about protesting and exercising First Amendment rights. It is about actually destruction, injury, uh, and in some cases death. And and either either we're serious about uh, serious about dealing with those offenses or we're, or we're not. Right. And as for the de-escalation stuff, that's already in the budget. That Democrats have opposed, but it's in the budget for the police is additional training. And actually, police go through this kind of training. Now, you can say that the training is not adequate. But I am genuinely interested to know, like, if you've got people that are engaged in this kind of behavior. And by the way, the law specifically includes this provision. So, uh, this is Section 2 or sorry, Section 1. Subsection G, mere presence alone without an overt act is not sufficient to sustain a conviction pursuant to this section. So that's very clear. Simply being there, simply being at a protest where violence breaks out, where a riot breaks out, that is not enough to convict you. And by the way, yes, this goes to the point of the convictions, which Monica writes on Twitter, the operative word there is convicted. And as we have seen in Portland, most of the time, no charges are ever brought. They are just released. The people are just released. Right. Well, yes, unless unless they're MAGA supporters <laughs> right? at the Capitol. Well, the, we just throw them in prison for seven, eight months or whatever. Uh, don't let them talk to lawyers. That's how they roll. But um, look. Yeah, I didn't hear uh, Ryan being very concerned about uh, those folks either in that call. Yes, David, uh, Dave says, Pete, you are very patient. <laughs> well, I was actually interested in the example that he was uh, initially uh, offering uh, of the cell phone. You know, if you got three people and somebody smacks the phone out of somebody else's hand or something, is that a riot? And obviously the answer is no, it's not a riot. There's only three people. And what you are 
you, what you are ignoring or eliminating from the example is discernment, is you know a law enforcement officer being present, seeing three people. Does he believe this is a riot? Three people and uh, another three people come up and then one gets the phone smacked out of their hands. Is that a riot? No, it would just be assault. Right? That would just be an assault charge if the person wanted to press the charges. Like there, there's a level of, I mean, and I guess, yes, you, you could have cops that behave badly and they would, you know, overcharge people or, you know, uh, bring them in and uh, process them or whatever, and then the charges get dropped. Yeah, that can happen, right? Humans are, are fallible. People make mistakes. People abuse their authority. Absolutely. Right. And even in his example, though, like Ryan's example, all those people that were falsely arrested or whatever that he was describing, right, they all got paid. (laughs) So, yeah, like seems like I don't know. I don't want to say the system worked, but like there are there's recourse for people to take there. Right. All right. Brett Winterbull is up next. Stay tuned. Thanks for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. And we'll talk with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.